Welcome to the Film at Lincoln Center podcast. On today's episode of our daily NYFF 60 edition, writer-director Todd Field and cast members Kate Blanchett, Nina Haas, Sophie Cower, and Hildur Gunadotter discuss TAR, a main slate selection of this year's festival, with NYFF artistic director Dennis Lim. The charisma and emotional precision of Kate Blanchett are put to astounding use in this deft showcase for the actor's musical artistry. A stinging portrait of a world-famous orchestra conductor's gradual unraveling that is the first film in 16 years from In the Bedroom and Little Children director Todd Field. To learn more and get tickets for this year's NYFF taking place through October 16th in all five boroughs of NYC, visit filmlink.org. Enjoy this conversation with Field, Blanchett, Haas, Cower, and Gunadotter, and don't forget to mark your calendar. TAR opens this Friday, October 7th from Focus Features. Okay, uh, thank you all for being here uh, for the press conference for TAR. Uh, I'm just going to introduce our guests uh, to my left, the film's composer, Hilda Gunadotter. Um, and we have uh, Sophie Cower, who plays Olga. Writer-director, Todd Field. Nina Haas. And Kate Blanchett. Congratulations to all of you on the film. Uh, I'll start with a question for Todd. Um, I, I guess it's a it's just a standard question about how this film came about uh, and what the origin was. But I'm I'm really curious about if, whether there was a precise starting point for you because it's such a a vivid character study, but the film also has such a richly imagined world, and it has I think a lot of you know just thematic resonance in terms of what's going on in the world today, but it also engages like larger and time, more timeless questions. So I'm wondering where in this stew did you start? Um, well, I, I guess I, um, a couple of things. Uh, I, there's some, there's some things I've been thinking about for a while. Um, and, uh, I'd had this idea for this character, uh, in a fashion for quite a while. Um, and, um, I was, uh, um, I was sort of given enough rope to hang myself. I, uh, uh, Kiska Hids and, and Peter Kudowski at Focus Features, um, uh, kind of told me I could write anything I wanted to write. And, um, it was at the beginning of the, of the pandemic, um, right in March, 2020. And, um, it felt kind of, I, I didn't know if it was it really mattered, you know, if there would be movies. Um, you know, it was, we were all trying to survive and people we knew were sick and dying and we were, you know, uh, trying to think about how to get groceries and things like that. And uh, uh, so it, it came very quickly um, once I started. Uh, you know, I, I didn't, uh, my background really is in jazz and, uh, but as Hilder will tell you, um, you know, it's all the same, you know, it's sort of making noise, but in terms of trying to get the, this sort of backdrop for, for this correct, that 
that was a, very important uh, to me. Um, we've all seen uh, movies about things that we say, well, that's not, you know, um, that's not probably how it is. Like we see movies about movies and we said, no, that's not really how, how you make movies, you know? And so I, I needed to kind of um, uh, do a little homework. And fortunately, uh, the great John Malcheri, who's a, a, a wonderful writer, uh, but also uh, had been Lenny Bernstein's assistant for many years and taught at Yale and uh, has written several uh, fine books that I would recommend, um, was available. Um, and he kind of gave me a very crash course education over several weeks about what I should read and what I should do and, and you know, answered very practical questions for me in terms of things that I wanted to to have happen or needed to have happen and if they were plausible or not. But it sounds like the starting point was the character of Lydia Tarr. Yeah, it was, it was the character. And, and, and that character was somebody that, um, uh, in this case, she happened to be at the top of a power structure that was very clear and definable what, how that pyramid works. But, um, it could have likely, she could have been anything. She could have, you know, been at the, head of a multinational corporation or, or another arts foundation or, or, or you name it. Right. Um, I've heard that you wrote the role for Kate. At what point did you, did you speak to her? Did you reach out to her? Was it with a finished script or did you write the whole script with her in mind? Before I, I wrote the entire script with her in mind. Um, she didn't know that. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I've told this story before and so I, Apologize for everybody who's heard it up here, but um, yeah, no, I, I I'd never written for an actor in mind, and um, but I also hadn't written an original script since I got out of film school in 1995. Yeah, never, you never normally have the opportunity. I mean, like I said, in this case, you know, Peter and Kiska said write whatever you want. People never, they don't do that. There's always IP attached, you know. Um, so there wasn't really. A, so when you're adapting literary material, it's kind of often just as a practical matter, best to keep these figures as literary figures in your head. And because if you're thinking about an actor, it's probably reductive from something you've seen them do before. But Kate and I had talked about doing a film with Joan Didion many, many years ago, 10 years ago. And, um, and we'd met here in New York and, um, that was a very, um, uh, very meaningful meeting for me personally, just because of Kate's, uh, um, intellect and her uh, soul and her heart and, and the way that she looks at uh, narrative um, uh, that's very um, holistic and um, uh, complete. And uh, I really wanted to collaborate with her. And uh, so for whatever reason, I, I you know, for, for, this is the first time I, I knew it was her. So I put a post-it note on my desk, said Kate, you know, and I would show up at my desk every day and say, good morning, Kate, you know, and get to work. And so it was like, you know, three months later, I handed the script in and Peter and Kiska said, would you have anyone in mind for this role? And I said, no, absolutely. I don't know. I have no idea who it is. And I said, well, have you thought about, should we send you some lists? I was like, no, no, I'm still kind of thinking about it because I was very superstitious, you know? Um, and then finally my wife said, you know, I think you better call Kate. Um, and, 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 and then things happened very quickly. Um, we, uh, you know, we, uh, we got in a conversation immediately and, and we worked for, uh, nearly a year before we were actually on the ground together in Berlin. Okay. Can you say a little bit about some of that preparation? I mean, Todd talked about just immersing himself in just in the details of this world. You obviously had to do quite a bit of that, uh, as well to play the part. Uh, you, you, I also noticed in the credits that you're actually performing, uh, some of the 
some yeah, of the music. I wasn't, all of it. I, all I, of it. I wasn't doing the conducting lip syncing version of it. Um, yeah, no, no, I think that, I think it had taught um, that every single element, and this is a testament to who Todd is, not only as a filmmaker, but as a human being, is it's, he's, he's a, uh, more than any filmmaker that I've ever met, he's, um, he's authentic with the capital A. And I think you, you know, you were talking really initially about the filmmaking style being fly on the wall, that it's obviously a rehearsal movie. It's not a, it's not a performance movie. And so, you know, we've all seen those, those movies about painters, about writers, about musicians, and you go, please God, don't turn the canvas around because I know that you're not really a painter. Um, And so we didn't want to do that, that version of it. So it was really important for me. I think um, that, and I'm sure it was with you too, Nina. I mean, you're a musician, Sophie, but, but you know, that we had to be able to truly hold our own with the musicians who were asked to act. And as actors, we had to become as close as possible musicians. And it was through really, um, you know, turning Marla, the Marla's Fifth Symphony for me inside out and listening to it nonstop 24-7 for a year and all of his symphonies and all of his influences and all the people who have been influenced by him that I felt that I could begin to approach the role because there was something contained within the symphony itself and learning to read that score in a, in a kind of a, um, a vertical as well as a horizontal way that I began to understand who she was and, and, and her terrifying magnificence. It was through the music. Yeah. I wanted to bring the other actors in, into it as well. I mean, I think um, the ensemble is so important. I think you, you learn so much about Lydia from all her relationships and interactions. Um, so maybe we'll start with, uh, with, with Nina. Um, I think this, uh, the idea of Kate and Nina together is inspired and very exciting. <laughs> um, it's, uh, I think it's just a pairing of, you know, I think uh, two actors who obviously you, you both have done a lot of film work, but you've also done a lot of theater. And I feel like there's a certain uh, kinship in the kind of work you're both drawn to. And the, I, I think in the kind of acting you do. So I'd, I'd love to hear about this this pairing of Kate and Nina. Well, it was exactly that, you know. It was just so great. I mean, I know all her work, you know. I couldn't be sure Likewise. she knew mine. <laughs> but I, so... I was like, oh, my God, I get to work with her, you know. It was so exciting already. And to see what she does with this character, to look into her eyes, to see something's happening, you know. We can, every moment, every scene we do, something will happen, you know. It's because we know what we're looking for. I saw saw the way she works is exactly how I want to work and how I strive to do things. And uh, that is just so inspiring and so um, gives you so much because she's she takes risks. She's bold. She makes choices where you go, huh? Oh, wow. <laughs> you know. So I'm I'm just very uh, uh, I was so inspired by her anyway by her work, but uh, especially when working with her and. Um, I truly hope this is not it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it, it's, it's just uh, wonderful that Todd had this idea. And But can I, can I just say um, that when Nina came on board, the conversation, I mean, the conversation for me, the creative conversation was so 
elevated by all of the elements that, that Todd brought to bear, you know, from Mona really, you know, and our incredible editor, but but also in particular, we'll say early on with Nina, is that when you came on board, the, the insight that you brought into Sharon's complicity in maintaining the power structure that is TAR and the world in which TAR is able to operate really kind of blew open a whole... Um, section of uh, of the film that I I don't think I'd previously thought of before, and I mean it's so great to work with an actor who is meticulous and um, inspired in the way that they create a role, but is so invested in in the whole, you know, not just not just their part within it, which is you know. Love to hear a bit more about that actually, because as you say, Kate, I think is a film that you know poses more questions than answers, and that's I. I, I think it's there's a lot of I think very productive ambiguity around um, the characters and their relationships, and I'm I'm wondering was there a lot of conversation about backstories and and motivations and histories and all that, which are not you know they're 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 not on screen, but they're all kind of implied and you know kind of submerged, and I'm wondering yeah if, uh, we talked we talked to uh, um, in very um, in fairly specific detail about backstory and about. Um, who these characters were specifically when it came to um, Lydia and Sharon about how they met, um, how they got together, um, what that sort of romance was like, um, how they made decisions together and, um, and uh, mainly about what the, um, what that sort of um, covenant that they had in terms of how they shared power and how power went back and forth between them and, um, again, like Kate was saying, that was a sort of a, um, a very, very, um, instantaneous, uh, sort of wake up call. Uh, the first time that, um, that I spoke with Nina, which is, she said, oh, yes, I, I, I want to do this. Um, but there's one scene here and I think, um, maybe you, perhaps you might want to do this a bit differently was the way she very nicely put it. Um, and out of that conversation was born, um, many, many more conversations between the three of us in terms of what is that relationship? How does that relationship function? And why is that relationship, um, so important to, to, to the, to the story? I must say, I was so inspired by working on the violin. I of course had a lot of conversations with my teacher about Mahler like like Kate had with with her uh, uh, coach and you you dive into that world and I started reading about his wife Alma Mahler because I thought ah there might be something there and that's what inspired all of us uh, I think th this kind of there is always who who is the partner of a genius <laughs> who who there is a certain trait of a personality that is not innocent they want something from that partnership as well and i found all of that in the script that was there but uh, it was great that we could all work on getting it out out a bit more um yeah, that's the, just a little. What, what do they call in politics a kingmaker? Yeah, yeah, no, the kingmaker <laughs> aspect not of a their, kingmaker, yeah. But yeah, but yeah, queenmaker. <laughs> yeah. Um, Sophie, maybe we'll bring you into this. Uh, Sophie is not Russian, despite uh, <laughs> um, Todd. Uh, can you talk a little bit about casting Sophie, and maybe Sophie, you can say about your experience working on the film. You're you are a cellist. Yeah. <laughs> 
um, well, you know, um, it seemed like such a simple idea, you know, um, that everybody that's on screen um, that's making music should actually be making the music. Um, and um, while, um, you know, musicians and dancers and anyone in the sort of performing arts, um, these are sort of uh, sometimes very fluid, interchangeable disciplines because they require the same sort of sensitivities and um, abilities having to do with sound and rhythm and things like that. So it it seemed like a, um, a very sensible idea that we'd be able to find um, this brilliant young cellist who was Russian. Um, uh, so A.V. Kaufman um, and her assistant, Bridget Whitcomb, um, sort of took this on. Um, and after months of looking at hundreds and hundreds of cellists, um, we hadn't found anyone um, for different reasons. We found some wonderful cellists. We found some people that could kind of act. Uh, and then finally, we got desperate because um, as sort of generous as Peter and Kiska were about the script, they were the casting budget was beginning to dwindle a little bit. Um, and um, uh, we had, I think, a week left. And and this video sort of arrived from the clouds. And uh, A.V. said, you might want to take a look at this. There's this 19-year-old from Norway. Um, and there was this Russian. And, and I watched her play these scenes, and they were top-notch. Um, I said, maybe you want to have her back. Does she play the cello? And she goes, oh, yeah, yeah, I think she plays the cello. I said, well, do you think you might be able to have her play excerpt from the Elgar? Oh, yeah, I'll ask. And then this excerpt arrives. I said, oh, wow, oh, amazing. And so, um, you know, she came back in, and we, we had a, a call back, and we, we played with the scenes. But, of course, the first question I asked her was, how did you – do you speak Russian? She said, no. I said, well, how did you do the accent? She said, YouTube. <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, you know, we, we, um, uh, we got very lucky uh, to, to, to make Sophie's acquaintance and that she agreed to, to do this. It was a, a lot for her to take on. She'd never acted before, obviously. Um, she had some fairly heady company, um, uh, uh, not to mention that she's in a movie uh, scored by one of the great cellists, living cellists and composers that we have, um, and um, I, I think she's pretty, pretty extraordinary in the film. You're too lovely. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think he um, told it beautifully. Um, I. I applied for it and I didn't really, it was actually my friend who made me apply. We got like a casting call in, uh, I think a school Facebook group or something like that. And I'm really not active on Facebook. I'm getting better, don't worry. Um, but uh, a friend sent it to me and she was like, you have to apply because I want to and I don't play the cello. I was like, right, okay. So um, I had zero expectations the whole way through and I just thought oh god this is gonna be so cool I can tell my grandchildren that I did a zoom audition with Todd Field like how cool is that and then I remember no one actually told me explicitly that I got the part it was all like oh you're at the top of a very short list or you've been approved by the studio and I had no idea what that meant <laughs> and then Todd and Avi rang me 
to kind of start introducing me to the script and Olga and I was like, wait, 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 have I got, have I actually got the part? Yeah, does no one say? <laughs> but um, it was amazing. And then suddenly I found myself in Berlin surrounded by the greatest actors and directors and composers of all time. And um, I mean, it's been the best of both worlds, really. Um, hard to say that many projects could top this one, to be quite honest. Okay, before I open it up, I want to bring Hildur into the conversation. And maybe Hildur and Todd, you could say a little bit about your collaboration. Um, it it's, goes without saying music is important in this film. So um, it, uh, if you can talk a little bit about like what your, you know, what your touchstones and what your ideas were as you shaped the score, both of you. Um, yeah. How long do we have? <laughs> no, it was, um, yeah, music was very important in this film. Very, very important. And, and it was just so... I was so thrilled when when Todd asked me to to get involved because um, it's a rare opportunity as a composer to get to to work on a process film about music, you know, because a lot of the times um, as a composer you're you're kind of um, you know you're you're you're, you're um, often asked to like underscore or you're highlighting emotions or you're you know you're 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 definitely ending up with a finished you know finished process you know product of of, of you know finished cues or finished um uh um, pieces of music but in this case we really got to dive into what it is to compose what it is to listen when you compose what it is to rehearse what it is to practice what it is to um stray away from your um creative alignment and and get stuck in in another world and you know there was just so many so incredibly many like juicy aspects of of um the practice of uh, composing and and rehearsing music that it's it's just it was such a privilege to get to dive into because for me personally that's probably the part of music that i'm more interested in than the finished product you know because i think behind behind every piece of music that you hear there's just decades of of practice there's decades of preparation to get to the point that you know that you actually listen to and like we were talking about this this morning in another interview it's like the um what happens in rehearsal when you're rehearsing with a group of people you know that the the um the the journey that everyone goes through musically because through music you're communicating beyond words you know so it's it's a it's a it's a form of of when you're practicing with other people it's a kind of form of of transformational communication you know and and it's and it's really uh it's it's very strong you know and this and this point of you know in rehearsals this this point when you feel like everything is really like coming together and and the music really starts to blossom like that's for me that's where the real like beauty of of music lies you know it's not the perfect take it's how you got there you know that's so interesting and and specifically in this case you know um Lydia Tarr is not only rehearsing music, she's also composing music. So then we're we're looking at the um 
that the kind of uh, the process of of how do we communicate the the way of internally hearing the music before you write it you know so you have you have to feel it and you, so you don't really hear it because when you're writing music you know, you have these melodies or textures or something that you hear internally. So it's not a voice necessarily or an instrument, but it's a it's a feeling of the music. You know, and how do you how do you portray that? Uh, you know, visually in a way that you feel it. So it was really important for us to 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 write that music. Um, really early on, so so Todd and I had lots of meetings before um, before they started shooting, like specifically when he was lo location scouting, you know. So so we we kind of tempo mapped the whole film, and we made like you know BPMs for each character, like you know with the tempo that they were walking in, the tempo that they were kind of you know writing in, the tempo that they're rehearsing in, and then so we had this overarching. Uh, yeah, tempo map of the film, and then I wrote music to accompany that, so we could all, so we could all listen to that music, and we could hear that music. So that music is in the the the, the delicate kind of um, subconscious DNA of the film, even though the audience is not hearing it, you know. But 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 hopefully they will feel it. They will feel the tempo, you know. And then, of course, I wrote the music that that uh, she writes in the film. So we would have uh, conversations about, like, you know, how, you know, or I would, you know, very badly try to explain, like, how 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 you know how it is to compose <laughs> music and how it is to you know to hear it and 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 um, and to sit with it like this because that's a very it's a very delicate and personal process that that you don't normally share that much with with people so that was um you know a really really interesting and, and beautiful process for me as a as a composer to get to share with such beautiful artists thank you thanks for that um todd you want to add anything well i mean it was an unusual situation which is um you know as silder said most of the times you know um there's a pre-circumcised uh, uh, kind of situation, which is the process is, you know, A, B, C, D, E, and E being you come in and the the, the composer um, sort of inherits your sins, you know, and tries to absolve you uh, sort of in a way. Um, and, um, uh, and and this was an unusual situation in a, um, in a gigantic creative opportunity in terms of being able to collaborate with Hilder because... Uh, she was in at A, and, and um, she was with us through the end. Um, um, and so, as she said, um, we went through, and we didn't just spot for cues. We spotted for what is the gate. For instance, if, if you if you watch Kate and you put a metronome on her, she's walking at 120 beats per minute. I mean, this is, we shouldn't be talking about this. It's like inside baseball stuff. But you know, and Sophie's walking at 60. You know, and um, and and sort of this these sort of this contrast between sort of her older and younger self and creatively where she is as opposed to way for instance where where sophie's character is and um i mean just we, we shouldn't really talk about all this but i mean we we had very in-depth conversations about how we relate to music but also how we relate to sound and um and the idea that 
you're making a film about characters that make music and they make music for real and they make it on screen. So to, to underscore their lives would be absurd. It'd like be putting a hat on a hat sort of thing. So, um, uh, you know, one of the things that I really, um, deeply admire about Hilder's, uh, music and long before, um, she was scoring is, um, is the way that she makes very, very dense sonic scapes, um, that, that work on you in a very particular manner, um, uh, that's non-equational. And, um, so there's a great deal of score in this film that, um, probably, um, based on, on how we mixed it, um, you're unaware of, but it, it's there nonetheless. And there's a, there's real intent behind all of that. Um, and that, that took a great deal of time, uh, to sort of, uh, get, so again, it was a, it was a, a gigantic luxury to have, uh, that kind of continuity with a, uh, with a composer, uh, a, a kind of collaboration. And, and it was integral, not just to, to our conversation, but to the conversation with Kate and, um, and, and what she was doing, obviously, and all the way through up, uh, into, uh, uh, July when we actually recorded a concept album that, with, with Kate conducting and Sophie playing with the London Symphony Orchestra with, with Elgar in the same place where Jacqueline Dupre played Elgar um, uh, at Studio One at EMI, now Abbey Road. And, and Hilder actually um, recorded um, what Kate's character is writing in the movie with a full orchestra. And that'll, uh, that'll be out in, on vinyl with with Lydia Tarr on the cover the way that she'd planned in January. Finally. Uh, finally, yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Um, all right, we have time. we're going to take a few questions then. Uh, I think we have mic runners. So why don't we start over there? Yes. Oh, I found the depiction of young people to be very interesting in the film. So I was curious as Me to the... Meaning Lydia Tarr. Is that what you mean? <laughs> <laughs> why are you laughing? Sorry. <laughs> What's your definition of young? <laughs> well, stu students. I'll, I'll, let's, let's, let's rephrase that. Uh, <laughs> students. I found that to be very interesting. So I was curious as to the research that may have gone into that, if any? Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I have a lot of children. Uh, if you're referring specifically to the scene at Juilliard, um, I always, I've always been haunted by this sort of question um, that, you know, at a certain point in your life, um, you either ask yourself or someone else asks you, which is if you could go back and talk to your younger self, what would you say? And, uh, so that scene for me, the impetus for that scene was really, was really about Lydia Tarr talking to her 24 year old self, you know, um, like the way I imagine this character when she's 24, she graduates from Harvard and she wants to you know, break windows. She wants to push boundaries. She wants to go find, she wants to make some noise someplace, um, outside of the sort of German Austro place that we find her at the age of 50 or turning 50. Um, I mean, that was the first scene you wrote, wasn't that it? That was the first scene I wrote, yeah. And, and, and I, I, I think, you know, there's a, we're at a very particular moment where I think, um, you know, generations are screaming at each other. And um, uh, I, that's not, new, not something new. Uh, it's just the language that people are using to sort of scream at each other um, uh, is, is new. Um, but... I think if you, uh, for me, that scene was a, a kind of a test of patience between the young person and the older person. 
and the older person loses their patience first. They lose, right? Um, in this case, Lydia Tarr, she makes four attempts and, and the younger person very nicely just says, no, thank you. And, um, and that's not good enough for her. Now, maybe it's not good enough for her because we saw that at lunch she didn't eat enough and she has low blood sugar. You know, maybe she would have kept her powder dry in another day. Maybe she's anxious about something, but she loses her temper. And so ultimately she loses that conversation with her younger self, or in this case, this younger person. Are you, are you talking about, is that specifically the character you're talking about? Are you talking uh, no, about? No, just in general throughout the film, because there, there, there are a lot, the, the film sort of balances um, the character of uh, Lydia with majority of the young people who are around or younger people. And, and I think there was a, there was a certain, um, point that was trying to be made. And I was just curious if um, that was coming from somewhere or some sort of experience or something you looked into or... I mean, there are people that are of all different ages and stripes in the film. I mean, there's anywhere from um, her mentor, Andrus, who's 87 years old, Julian Glover, to uh, Alan Corduner, who's in his 70s, to Lydia Tarr, who's turning 50, her partner, who's a contemporary 50, uh, this young cellist, Olga Makina, who in the film is 19, 20 years old. Their daughter, Mila, uh, who plays Petra, who's six years old. I mean, um, it's sort of, a, yeah, it's a survey of, of different generations, to be sure. Okay, yeah. Thank you. Dwight Kastmer with the Times Weekly in Chicago. Wonderful film. Uh, I love the uh, composition of the uh, shots. The, the scenes were just so beautifully composed. And uh, one thing I wanted to ask you about in putting together the story, you mentioned uh, the, the whole sexual scandal content, uh, mentioning Jimmy Levine and other things that are out there in the news ether, in the music world. And I almost felt like those are such explosive topics that it might have taken the film in a whole different direction. How did you kind of keep that balance and keep it a character portrait as you so beautifully did? Um, well, um, well, thank you. I, uh, I mean, those are just facts, right? That's public. That's just sort of, um, you know, we read about that. And um, in this milieu, those are the things that, um, that, that these characters would talk about given these circumstances. But, but, but that's just what's in the air. I mean, people could argue, and I would argue, that it's a fool's errand to, to make a contemporary film that has the mentions of things that, that, that you're talking about uh, because um, uh, it's instantly dated, you know? Um, it was really, this was an unusual circumstance given the tempo in which this film was um, uh, written and, and made. Um, but, um, you know, the things with with Dutois and Levine and others, um, you know, those are those really rocked uh, the classical music world um, and um, are kind of unignorable um, and um, just were, you know, sort of manifest things that in such a conversation, one of those characters would bring up. Over here. Uh, is it a fruit? Is the movie the fruit of the pandemic boredom? Because... I'm curious because you stay, after two great movies, you took 16 years to make another movie. And then in the beginning, I think you said that during the pandemic, you had the idea of creating this story. Have you uh, given up of the movie? And then during the pandemic, you decided coming back to the industry? 
And please don't take so long to make another movie. We also <laughs> very like your movies. Thank you. Um, yeah, I don't know. You know, uh, I. Um, it's a fair question. It's a question that um, I seem to be answering a lot. Uh, and it's a request that a lot of people have taught. Just you know that. <laughs> Please don't take so long next time. <laughs> you know, I, I love movies so much, you know. Uh, and I I love making movies. And I love, I, I, I'm, you know, that's why we're all here, you know, hopefully. You know, and I... I obsess over films and small details and write my own critiques of other people's films and have catalogs. And, you know, I, I, it's, it's a real hard thing to be away from, you know? Um, and it's, it's a hard, it's a hard thing to, uh, to, to be allowed to make a film. I mean, I remember being in, um, uh, I was a fellow at the American Film Institute a hundred thousand years ago, and um, we had a great teacher there um, who was only there that year, a guy by the name of Stuart Rosenberg. And um, Stuart um, directed Cool Hand Luke, and he was a real solid, sturdy fellow. Um, and um, he had a lot of sort of wisdom to impart, very practical wisdom um, that of course we all ignored um one of the things that he said was you can't you know you can't tour with your movie and explain it to other people because of course he came from an era where you didn't do that you know um but the other thing he said was um enjoy your time here at the american film institute because it will never be any better you have total freedom and you can experiment and the stakes are are as high as you want to make them but but you can do anything you want and he was right. And, and that isn't the world. And so I've, I've spent a, you know, a very long time working on a lot of things that I, that I thought were worth you know, paying attention to that other people didn't. It's as simple as that. Uh, and one of those things was uh, this project that where Kate and I met. So it wasn't, you know, so that was worth it. You know, it, Joan and I spent a year working on that script that never happened, but if, if I got to collaborate with someone like Kate from that, then you know I'm the richer for it, and it was worth worth every every minute. We're getting a sign that I think we are out of time, unfortunately. But um, thank you all for being here. Thank you to all of you for this film. Thank you.